I'll introduce it. Yes, I will, Max. Uh, welcome back to the Driving Talk podcast, powered by Icon. And we've got a guest this week, gents. Uh, it's myself, Robert Lewis, with Paul Harvey, Max Coates, and sat right next to Max Coates, probably with his hand on his knee, is Mr. Charles Rainford. Oh, no, he hasn't got his hand on his knee. It's fine. He's put his up. Uh, but Mr. Charles Rainford, Porsche Carrera Cup driver, Pro-Am champion, has joined the Driving Talk podcast. How are you guys? Yeah, good. I mean, you're very kind to me there on that intro, so thank you very much for that. Which part? The hand yeah. on his knee or the champion bit? Both, probably. <laughs> you you <laughs> crowned champ last year? I was. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Congrats. There we go. That's news Good to see uh, Max yeah. is up to date with all the research on the guests, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've uh, know lots about him. So the, I've well, got to say the hairstyle is incredible. One of a kind. Yeah. 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 I think it's. I think well, it's, it's probably it's more the most... of a style than I've got. When you go <laughs> to the when you go to the barbers, what do you ask for? I literally ask for a two on the sides and a little bit off the top. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> that's exactly what I asked for. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That's actually what I asked for. I mean, to be my hair is still slightly damp from having a shower a little while that's, ago. That's brilliant. Yeah, I have a two and a half the side off the sides, a little bit off the top. Yeah. Right, so we well, won't talk about the Porsches or anything like that. Let's talk about hair care. So, Charles, how do you keep oh it so God. supple during yeah, the race well, weekend? Quite a nice on the side there. It's, I'm not sure what that, whether that says more about my hair or my barber. So, anyway, <laughs> yes, we're, we're, we're both good. Upfield. Yeah. Thank you for doing my hair. We're, but we are both good. Um, so, we were both racing at Donington this weekend. Um, Charles in, in Carrera Cup, myself in um, Sprint Challenge GB. Uh, we're on a a day off it's yeah. not really um, a day off at, Don- at Silverstone or Donington this morning and Silverstone this afternoon um, and we're ready for, for testing tomorrow so I've actually had a day off really you haven't so what because for people that don't know Charles needs to introduce who he actually is but essentially he, he races a car and runs a team and that's quite quite a hard task. So when he's finished racing yesterday, he's then coaching his driver in another championship and then has to, oh, you tell him. Yeah, so basically, um, gosh, I guess it all starts as um, my dad owns CCK Historic and um, we build and store classic race cars, basically, and that's how I got into racing. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to that. With the Porsche Carrera Cup, GB um obviously started in 2021 with just myself and we got Cam Davis as well for the Cayman Orange Sprint Challenge um for this year but it does mean um obviously won the Crown Championship last year I then moved up into the pro class so uh, on a race weekend I have a few different jobs to do obviously one is is coaching Callum driving the car myself Uh, I also help engineer my own car um, I also have Oz Osborne, uh, who also engineers it with me, but we, we work as a team. And then I co-engineer Callum's car as well. So um, when you pair that with also keeping my sponsors happy, it means race weekends are rather busy. Do you get time to I'm even eat or sleep? <laughs> I'm sleepy. Yeah, that happens at some point during the evening. Um, eating, I don't eat very much on a race weekend anyway. For some reason, actually, I do for a lot of uh, nerves, actually, before races and qualifying. Yeah, you a lot get nervous. Very nervous. So yeah. Interesting. I was chatting to somebody um, pre-race, pre-qualifying, pre-race thing. Uh, it was Joe Warhurst, mm. and he was saying like, "I can feel my heart going already." And we were, we hadn't even got in the car. And it, no. so it's amazing actually how much, especially over 
well, I guess over any race weekend, but especially on on Toker, I feel like there's a lot of build up, um, there's a lot of suspense, and um, yeah, like beforehand, the heart rates sort of already quite high, um, well before you're even in the car or got your suit on, or I find it's when you put your suit on. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. You, yeah you, you might feel it less, but when I was at Pyro and we had like six drivers, probably of which four were going to be in the front battle of like eight cars. Mm. It was proper tense in the truck. Like you, when you went to put your suit on, it was like, we're, we're going to war. It's, it's not, yeah. like, it's not like that, but that was, it was like that feeling of like, we're all getting tugged up here to go and yeah. <laughs> just try and beat each other up. Basically. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty intense. I think, but... yeah, from my side with that, where I've always been a single car team, my particular race always feels like such an event. I've never had teammates that I'm going to go and battle against. Yeah. Um, so because of that, it always feels like that everyone's there just for me. Yeah. And that I always subconsciously adds pressure. Mm. Um, for me, it's the, as you say, the same thing with the build up, the build up, and then you get called to assembly and the build up is more and more and more. And then all of a sudden you start the engine up and go out on track and all the nerves are gone. Yeah. And you just, from that point, you're having the best time ever. And no matter how many times you do it, you can't tell yourself 20 minutes before it's all going to be all right in yeah. 20 minutes to so stop worrying. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Because saying that to yourself, you think, yeah, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. But and you can never, <laughs> yeah, and you can just never make that switch if I don't get nervous. Interestingly enough, though, I wasn't very nervous for qualifying on Saturday. No, I, I, um, I actually think as you get a little bit older and you've done it more, the nerves start to decreased and you you kind of just sort of accept that actually you're all right as long as you if you're doing your best that's all you can do Mm. so don't worry about it and it it you still get you do still get nervous but i think it gets it's less now than what it probably was for me a couple of years ago yes we 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 can go off topic all the time during this (laughs) No, no, absolutely. I mean, to to be fair, so it's nice to hear. I don't know about you, Paul, but it's nice to hear from us two that have effectively done club racing and we get, well, I don't know about you, I get really nervous. I'm pacing, I'm in the car, hyperventilating, doing all that shit. Um, But it's nice to hear that the pros get nervous as well, right? Yeah, I mean, my expectation is that if you're going to really perform at your best you've got to be in that balanced state between having adrenaline and energy and excitement Mm. which gets you going and obviously if you're going to be driving a race car sharpening up your reaction times and everything that comes with the benefits of it but keeping that in a balanced and controlled state to be able to not be overexcited or overstimulated to the point where you overdrive the car or it becomes debilitating there's there's a curve i guess for you guys where it plays in your favor but actually it can play against you Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah, Max, no, exactly. Max has, Max has dived off probably to cl- either clear up another coffee mistake or just go and get another cup of coffee after the one he spilled earlier. Um, uh, it was actually closing the so, door because a Cayman has just started up. Yeah, it was getting noisy outside, so I just thought I'd shut it. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, while no, we've, what, what? Like, we've introduced ourselves, had, had a quick chat, gone off a tangent, but what are you two actually doing at Silverstone for this test day? Is this an official Porsche day? Yeah. They're really good, actually. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're probably some of the best quality track time that that I've had in in the car. 
Um, so effectively, Porsche rent the circuit for the day. We're at Silverstone National tomorrow. So the ten to we had three this year. Yes, three so far. Don, I think here, Donington. Oh yes, I also have one at Knock Hill as well. Yeah. Okay. Where else do we? Have? Is it Don, um, we Donington? Me, me, media Day. Then we had Donington Park. Yeah. And then so that's actually all been here or Donington. Yeah. I had then. Then, then and then you had the Knock Hill. Hill. We. Yeah. An ideal would have really been probably a Brands GP. Yes. Um, oh, well, yeah. But I just think that would be quite difficult. Do you had a Brands one as well, didn't you? An official, uh, official oh, Porsche gosh, Brands one. as well, yeah. So you, I did. You've had it for quite a lot of the year. Yes, actually, saying that, how they used to be from last year and also there we had the one at Brands Hatch mm. is for us sometimes it's just open pit lane. Right, All okay. day, no red flags. But because when, when we're not there, effectively, there's nobody else. But. Yeah. So, so what Porsche do is they rent the circuit and then split it between either everybody who's who's there. So tomorrow we've got thing fifty minute sessions back to back. It's quite a busy day. So by the time you're out of the car, you've had five minutes to sort of catch your breath and cool yourself down. You then trying to work out what you want to do in the next session for forty minutes before you've got five minutes to get your kit back on and get ready for the start of the next session. So, um, so they're quite they're quite busy days. So tomorrow is fifty minutes back to back. Um, sprint challenge and then poor and then Carrera Cup. Um, we yeah, obviously there's been a few open pit lane ones as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, the so the the the, <clears throat> the test days with uh, Porsche are fantastic quality um, because you know it, everybody's there. TSL live timing is there. You can see roughly where you are. See, there's no scrutineering, so you can't guarantee that people aren't running their cars way too low with no fuel in them and new tyres. But generally, mm. you get a bit of a sense, actually, mm. of where you are compared to everybody yeah. else. There's not a lot of point in anybody really doing that. It's a bit of a waste of their oh, test day. Yeah. Apart from social media. Yeah. But oh, just, so good, to be good honest, oh. if, if, mean, I'm, if I'm at the top of the test day like tomorrow... Sounds like looks after. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's good. And all included yeah. within your entry fee? It is indeed all yeah. included in the entry fee. So whilst what we pay for is a lot of money... I do feel like with Porsche, we get a very, very good quality service um, with our championship. Um, and, and the case has been the same with, with a few other championships I've done. Um, but I've got to say Porsche on that level is, is fantastic. Mm. So, yeah, um, so yeah, that's what, that's what tomorrow is. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of championships, unfortunately, Porsche is the only one I've ever done as a championship. <laughs> that is a really <laughs> unfortunate circumstance. <laughs> I can't compare it to anything. I still feel like the service yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, I've obviously done quite a few different things. Uh, yeah, I know Porsche, Porsche's been great. My second time actually being involved with Porsche, I did a, a Carrera Cup round back in 2015. Um, so, very good, I didn't know that. Yeah. Very good. I've, I've done a bit. Yeah, yeah. very nice. Yeah. When So, we, we, what I think we yeah. should have, you know, this is the first the block I guess on the podcast. Yeah, you could say so, within the motorsport sense, yes. <laughs> so, um you know, to be fair, that you know, this this year adds without being in slicks and wings, single seaters, I've done pretty much most stuff that you can do. Front wheel drive, uh, rear engine, rear wheel drive now, um, and rear engine front and rear wheel drive front engined cars. So I've I've kind of got that good mixture of 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 everything um within within what I've raced and like one think one in just about everything I've done so mm. it's um it's it's a nice place nice place to be but anyway this isn't um, my episode this is 
about about you, Charles. So when did you when did you start? Obviously, your dad's got the team. Yeah. Is that where the racing started from? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. So from my side, my dad was racing ever since I was born, pretty much. So mm-hmm. he actually won the Halfers MG Midget Challenge in uh, 1998 when I was born. Okay. Yeah. I know, fantastic championship that. There'd be 30 standard midgets all barreling into the first corner, <laughs> all the same against super, it basically the version of MX5 Cup, like the Super Cup now, yeah. just ultra competitive, all the cars the same, and it was fantastic. Um, so we were running that basically um, until 2006 when we stopped. So I've always been around cars and racing and that kind of thing. Uh, my dad actually bought me a go-kart for my eighth birthday. Um, so I did a little bit of testing, but my mum was always massively against the racing. So, so when, when did your dad stop? Uh, so my dad actually stopped racing in 2017. Um, okay, so not really that yeah, long ago at all. Not really that long ago at all. Okay, yeah. Right, yeah. So mass, mass, racing has just been a part of my family. Yeah. Since I was born, basically. And you, so you got a kart when you were eight when years old. Eight, and then do you start sort of racing karts then? Or? No, not at all. So uh, my mum was against me racing okay. um, go-karts because she said it was too dangerous. <laughs> That's thing. Yeah, um, which is ironic now the fact I'm a driver coach and I race something with 510 horsepower, but that's fine. So um, instead, I did a bit of testing um, yeah. and thoroughly enjoyed the testing, massively caught the bug. Um, that kind of stopped for a while since from when I was about 10 um, until I was 16. Um, and by that point, I was helping my dad build cars, working on race weekends and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, because I was actually homeschooled as well, which is a whole nother topic right um and why basically okay so i've asked the question no that's fine so i've got a twin brother his name is james yeah um so i've got my little brother ali yeah who is my second mechanic on the car uh, and was also massively involved in cck historic as well um, and he also drives the arctic lorry as well so okay. he's recently got his license to drive the arctic have you got your c1 i have not got my no. c1 no no is that the next driving license oh, in the gosh, range of the list? i think I don't know. Um, I think I'll try and drive them too quickly to get yeah. frustrated. You can only do what you see. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I have a twin brother. And uh, at the time, um, when, because the plan was that we were going to go to school. Yeah. Uh, and we were living in Kent in Spelthurst at okay. the time. So right next to Tombridge Wells. Uh, nice area, actually, yeah. as well. Because we had um, the workshop at that point was in Tunbridge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my dad had a shop in Blackfen. Uh, selling MG car parts and that kind of thing. Okay. So it was just my mum and us three boys. My little brother at the time wasn't possible to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were going to go to local school and it was all sorted until it was the first week, before the week before the first ter- the, um, day of term, um, the, the school rang up and said, I've only got space for one of them. And my dad went, well, what's the issue? And my dad, trying to be the problem solver that he is, said, well, what kind of, what's the problem? And they said, we've not got a desk. And he said, I'll just go buy a desk then. And apparently it wasn't that simple. Right. So, so um, they said that there's there's a space at the school, at the next school, which... I imagine that conversation. Oh, your dad. He's so straightforward. He's yeah. fantastic. Um, so from that, um, they said the... Uh, the school 10 miles down the road has another space and my dad said well that's not going to work is it because there's two of them he has to go to black fen every day selling mg car parts we have the workshop over at uh, tunbridge got being two places at once so they suggested you know why don't you start homeschooling until we find a place for you so we started homeschooling and the whole education system forgot about this we never got checked up 
to A levels, nothing. Wow. I know. So okay. So you, before I got involved in motorsport, properly, do they do they like? Hmm. Do they? It's obviously like a, 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 effectively people pay taxes and then you go a place at school. Yeah. So did they like pay for your mum to do the homeschool? Then? No. So you just had to fund it all yourself. Fund it ourselves. Wow. Uh, so my mum literally schooled me, which is cool. Um, yeah. But then it did mean the fact that basically the government didn't really know about me because I didn't do the school system and didn't do anything. Yeah. So for me to be self-employed, to be a driver coach, to get a UTR number was a right old kerfuffle because according to them, I didn't exist. So I had to send off my birth certificate, my passport, <laughs> the whole thing, just to get a UTR number. Because <laughs> you've never been to school. No, and never, the school never did the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you don't really realize, like, wow. there's probably so much more a school does than just teaches you totally. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right. 100%. So that was yeah. quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so you didn't do A-levels, uh, you did MG-levels. MG-levels, yeah. exactly. So that's why I was so involved with the company. And so so when so when did you... I guess there must be a point where that situation where you go, right, you've done your maths lesson, gone out with your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, literally. So I'd be, I'd basically have school with my mum from nine o'clock in the morning until two o'clock in the afternoon. And then from basically 2.30, I'd be in the workshop with my dad. I mean, yeah. Amazing, amazing yeah. childhood. Absolutely. Yeah. I look back now, I just, it was fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And it, so how did that work with like being with other people? Because obviously if you're like, yeah, always like knowing firsthand to be a, a professional racing driver, first and foremost, you've got to be able to drive a car really fast around yeah. a track. Yeah, yeah. But probably second and a very close to that is you've got to be able to talk to people and make the business side of this sport happen. Yes. Because without that, you're not putting a racing car to go and drive very quickly <laughs> anyway. Exactly. Um, and I can imagine there's probably been opportunities for you to do that through the business. 100%. But that's not got you in a Carrera Cup seat. No. So, yes. um, so yeah, how how do you find that? Mm. That, so, that must be quite a challenge. Yeah, it was, it was oh, really. So, obviously, when you go through the school system, you learn about certain things, some things you don't tend to then use later on in yeah. life. Um, from my whole upbringing, I was, I've been learning about business and accounting and all the things that you normally do. But also what was very interesting looking back now is I never actually used to got, get on with people my own age at the time. So when I was kind of 4, 12, 13, yeah. 14, 15, 16, 17, even to about 18, 19 years old, I never got on with people my own age no. like, because I just found them annoying. Yeah. It's just we're going out partying because just I've always been brought up around people that were older because I was always with my dad's friends. Yeah, yeah. So I've always spoken to people that were of the age I am now, such as self yeah, yeah. as well. I've always spoken to older adults. Yeah, yeah. So I never got on with people my own age. I always felt a little bit of an outsider. And now looking back on that, it's just because I kind of was a... You were never thrown into was the never, ring of I, doing that. I yeah. was never really in the same kind of time frame as the people I was trying to socialize. Yeah, yeah. So no, I'd totally. always be socializing with my, with my mum and dad's friends, which I think has really helped me because it means then that I've learned about business, I understand yeah. about business, and I've spoken to adults ever since I was young. Yeah. So I've always kind of been on that kind of level. It makes a lot of sense, that, to be fair, because um, growing up as a kid, I always quite enjoyed hanging around with mum and dad if, they had friends come over and that sort yeah. of thing. But I think, especially in like the younger years of, of my racing 
I wasn't phased by speaking to people who were a lot older. Yes. And when you meet a lot of kids who are in junior A series, that kind of freaks them out and they don't they don't really know how to handle it. Totally. Um I've never really thought about it in that dynamic yeah. that actually is probably just by instead of going and playing on an Xbox that I'm sitting and talk to mum and dad's friends. Exactly. Yeah, so 100%. Yeah, it's yeah. um, it's quite it's quite interesting. You know what what people's upbringing has been like as to how they've got to the, the position that they are within yeah. a motorsport setting. So okay. yeah. So yeah. when I was first looking for sponsors for Ferrero Cup for the first yeah. year, obviously being a 22 year old, never having to find sponsorship before. Yeah. Normally, I think that that would be quite intimidating for, mm. for youngsters. But actually, getting into boardroom for the first time, talking about business, I felt quite well, at home. home. Yeah. yeah. Normal. Just, yeah. It just, it just felt like yeah. like I should do, really, having a conversation on how you can move somebody's company forward and get it more well-known or, or help them in any way you can yeah. in return to help you go racing. Yeah, that makes sense. Basically. So on the on the racing front, where did it then start? It's about 16. Yes, 16. So I started off racing MG Midget, okay. um, which myself and my, uh, my dad kind of built, really. It was Did a he still have the Midget shop at that point then? Uh, no, so that all, that's all stopped, basically, and we then got very much more involved with just historic racing cars on okay. the cross-by tyres, because yeah. that became more of a thing, really, in towards 2006, 7, 8 and onwards. Yeah. The, the real historic scene started with obviously Goodwood getting more and more momentum and that kind of thing. Really, it's the Goodwood revival that has brought the historic scene to as it is now. Yeah. Before it, it was never really... It's, such, it's, it's such an event. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I say it's such an event. I've never been. Haven't you? No. Obviously, we should change that. For me, it is so... <laughs> yeah. Like, it is so far away from me. It's like seven hours. Oh, of course. So it's not... It's not really on the doorstep. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've, I've watched it plenty on the telly and thought yeah. that looks mint. I want to, I, I want to go. Yeah, but I also would love to race. Oh, hundred percent. The racing just looks. Cool. Years time, Max Coates in a in a super uh, any, any time I am around anybody who has anything to do with historic re- racing, that is dropped straight into the conversation. <laughs> like straight away. FYI, I want to race in a revival. Have you got any way that that can happen? Very good. So, oh, yes. We'll yes, I've got no money. Yeah, <laughs> that, that bit also makes you're, 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 you're more than quick enough to yeah. not need to pay for it, mate. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it looks it looks pretty class. So, so you were, so your racing started with historic stuff. Yes. So that's quite rare, I think. Hundred percent. To find somebody who's who's kind of got to Carrera Cup level is there anybody else you can think of who started from a historic scene and gone to i don't know this is, level of single mix yeah single mix especially when i started in historics because it's such a closed world and it was even more of a closed world to me because it was what i grew up in yeah um and everybody who i was then racing against uh, basically had seen me grow up and then get in a racing car so that was really quite cool so it meant it was a really closed shop so I'd be watching racing on the TV mm. and stuff. Um, and when I, before I was racing, I was even watching some of your races, to yeah. be fair, and watching you on the, the touring car package and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, But I'd never really register who people were, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like, I'd watch it and go, oh, yeah, I know the name, I know the name of, of all sorts of different people. Because um, I'd always watch touring car on a Sunday. I would always watch touring cars on a Sunday yeah. if me and my dad weren't at a race event already with historics. Um, so growing up through it, it was really only when I got into actually instructing and driver coaching was when 
I kind of started to know other people knew actually that I wanted to race in something more than just yeah. doing a few. I think at the time I was doing like three races a year with with my dad. Yeah, for the first few years. Yeah, yeah, okay. it was well, well, I just I just want to step in there. So Charles, obviously coming from the historic side and then going into the more modern stuff, everyone's got a favourite. So I'm sure Paul's got a couple of questions for you when it comes to this sort of stuff as well, because it's quite a unique career you've had. First of all, if you were to pick one historic car to race for the rest of your career, what would it be? Only out of the stuff I've driven, because it's the only thing I could comment on. Um, I would have to say, oh, that is so hard, you know. Okay. <laughs> so I've, ra- I've been very lucky that I've raced some cool cars. Um, right up there is actually one of the newest projects, which is a, a 1982 Ford Capri. That is a three-litre Capri. It is absolutely fantastic to drive. Otherwise, I would have to probably say a Marcus 1800 GT, which is a, with the plywood chassis, fiberglass frame on top, because it's fantastic. 1960s GT car that is made of plywood that you can still beat an AC Cobra and E-Type with. Just incredible. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I've never raced them, but when, whenever I watch revival mm. it makes me think of my Janetta junior days yes the racing that i see is just like yeah. that just looks like mm. crazy Janetta junior racing 100%. and i can't believe they're doing it in invaluable cars yeah um, <laughs> but that's what seems to happen yeah and uh would you say like the cortina time type of race yes. that looks yeah, to, me, yeah. to me probably like 100 the the biggest sort of door handle the door handle yeah sort of a, a really good mix of power and grip totally um, yeah yeah so I'm, I'm unlucky in the way i've not actually yet driven in a 1960 touring car race i've done again uh, 80s now with group one mm-hmm. uh, with the capri and then a lot of 50s so um in the revival in 2019 um i raced a volvo pv544 mm-hmm. okay. and that was kind of so it's um the engine is a 1998 on split webbers a volvo full, full volvo engine yeah. Actually, the same engine that goes in the Marcus. Okay. So we are able to get almost 200 brake horsepower out of it, which wow. is pretty bonkers. Yeah. Um, however, I was very lucky in that car that it was never the quickest down the straights, nor was it in the worst in the corners or the braking zones. It was fairly neutral. If you take, for instance, an Austin A40, yeah. it was a little bit worse in the corners, but also a bit better down the straights. So it was a very, very good balance, especially yeah. for Goodwood. But you'd have, there was a um, Mark II Jag in that race I was battling with, mm-hmm. also a Studebaker uh, and an A40 as well. Yeah. Um, and during the race, obviously the Studebaker would come flying past me down the straights and then he'd break and I'm still accelerating. So I then shoot back up the inside of him again yeah. into the next corner. They're the best races that you watch. Totally, it's totally. just like. 100%. Rapid in a straight line, but yeah. cannot go around a corner. No, exactly. And then you've got to be, you've got to be, you've got to be really on top of your head as well, because, for instance, you'll be catching an A40 down the straight, and you'll go to the inside, but then you go, actually, why am I trying to do this? Because he's about to outbreak me. It's yeah. like one of those pointless moves where you go to the inside, but you're never going to try and make it work. You yeah. just compromise your line. So you have to really, really think in those types of races as well. Um, yeah, as to what everybody else's car is to. Yeah, totally. I raced a mini actually at the members meeting mm-hmm. um, in that was 2019 as well, actually. Uh, but that was actually in the all mini race. So I never got a chance to be against the Cortina yeah. and all those things and that kind of thing. Um, 
that's a pretty cool experience yeah. to know, actually. Um, made it to the final. It wasn't, you know, a highly tuned swift tune engine and all that. It didn't quite have the best shock absorbers on, but we got it to the final. Yeah. That was what it was all we about. We got there. Yeah. Mega. Yeah. So, so <laughs> leading on from that, um, what is the one car that you want to race but haven't yet? Oh, that is, yeah. I'm, on a historic front. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that'd be a Lola T70. Cool. Just really, really want to have a go in the Can-Am stuff. I think yeah. it just looks incredible. Absolutely incredible. Fantastic. Is there some classic questions in there, Paul? And what, on what track? What track? Yeah, yeah. And what, on what track? Yeah, what track would you would you pick out of all I the tracks? Could be classic. Yeah, I've only ever driven. I suppose I drove a historic at Spa, and that was that was that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, as well, we would obviously drive them at Silverstone, at Brands Hatch, you know, at Snetterton. They're great fun, but nothing beats Goodwood because it's a historical circuit in a historical car. It's just that perfect balance. There's of, nowhere else like it. There's nowhere else like it. Exactly. Even if you go to um, Castle Coombe. It's still not the same as driving it at Goodwood. Yeah. It's just so fun. We've lost Rob. We have lost Rob. Yeah, in fact, Rob and Rob and I were at um Rob and I were at uh, Goodwood a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> that was for the Evo track day. But we won't re- we won't go into that as much, will we, Paul? Because um well, it sounded like the lads are taking care at their track day with Porsche, but Evo um, God yeah, knows. myself and Paul dived down to Goodwood recently for the Evo track day, and Paul, it, we weren't very well looked after, were we? Considering it was special. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say, really. I mean, Evo magazine, I've been a reader of that for a long time, and I thought, yeah, you know, any opportunity to drive around Goodwood's great. We had uh, Caterham, and we took the BAC Mono, so that was the first time I had a chance to, to drive that in the UK. Uh, and we drove them to the circuit because both cars uh, got MOTs and number plates, and it absolutely chucked it oh. down with rain all the way there. So they weren't the two best cars. Well, you were sort of following us in a Land Rover Defender 110, sort of, you know, yeah. on, the, on sweep wagon duty behind us. But, yeah, we got wet before we even got there. Um, arrived, did the briefing, and it was dry for the first bit. So, actually, Rob and I amazingly managed to fit into a S3-bodied Caterham together. Um, I think our combined weight doubled the curb weight of the car uh, yes. without us in it, to be fair. And there is a video of us getting in and getting out and putting the seatbelts on because we had a two-minute challenge and we blasted it, one minute 40 in and out, but we can't both get in absolutely, at the same time. Which we are actually going to take that video. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to put that into a shorts video because I can I can actually reveal the Driving Talk podcast is now on YouTube. So if uh, if you're listening to us on Spotify or any of the other podcast providers that we're already on, get yourself on YouTube. You can see the video version of this as well, which you can already see on Spotify. But the, the point I was yeah. making there, obviously, so, you so, guys, you, sorry, you guys yeah. mentioned how looked, looked after you were with the Porsche side of things. It was meant to be an Evo track day. Paid extra for it, I believe, Paul, right? I guess. A little bit. And did it really feel like it was anything special, anything different? Apart from the circuit. The circuit is just, Charles, you're absolutely right. The circuit is special. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like a normal track day. I'd expected the people from Evo to be coming up and interacting with people in the paddock and during lunch break, coming and saying hello, welcoming you, all that kind of stuff. But 
I didn't, you know, they were having lunch on their own, weren't really interfacing with people. Um, and then we got a couple of sessions in in the dry. So I took you out, took Ed, Ed out as well in the in the catering. And I thought, okay, let's let's get in the mono and uh, see what that's like around here because you know it's a fantastic car, a fantastic service, a surface, a circuit even. Um, and on my first lap around, the dreaded rain started smashing into my visor. Oh, so hello. not having a lot of seat time in a two sixty horsepower, five hundred and fifty kilogram pocket rocket. Um, it, it certainly got my attention, that's for sure. So, actually, it was better than I thought it was going to be. It wasn't quite as sketchy as I thought it might have been, just on Kumo semi-slicks. Um, mm. But as the rain came down and my confidence went up, um, I had a brief moment of uh, just just seeing how Lord March's grass was on no, the yeah. inside of the exit of Turn oh, 1. Okay. So, uh, yeah. If you go outside at all, there's not a lot you can do before you're in the barriers. But saying that, it's quite no, no, easy to no. end up actually on the airfield as well at Goodwood. What happened? What's inside? Is an airfield? It is an airfield. So can you, right? Yeah. Look at Castle Coombe. How yeah. it's like, there's like grass, but then inside the grass, there's an arm cut. Oh, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. No, no, it is. Because you don't find out about that until you've sort of gone through it, stayed full power through the grass, and then you're like, yeah. oh, there's a wall there. I didn't know there's a wall there at the inside of Castle Coombe. Yeah. Blimey. I'm sure I've seen like a, a video of TCR car or something. Mm. It like goes into the grass and then bounces back out. <laughs> and you're like, grass doesn't have them qualities. What, what's inside that? Mm, this is bending yeah. lots of physics. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. 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 There was a there was a there was an AMG GT and an Alpine being pedaled very well up in front of me. So I was sort of hunting them down. And then just on the inside, exiting, just a tiny bit of throttle on the, you know, on, the, on the last bit of the exit to go down into the straight before the right-hander and uh, just hit a bump and back came out. And I uh, thought, oh, this could be interesting. Luckily, it was very graceful, probably covered a bit of distance, but um, it was on the inside. Was and inside of one. Okay on the inside. Yeah, so uh, exit of one, so almost mm-hmm. on the straight pretty much by the time I got there. Uh, and it's not slow there either if you're no. looking at no, no. Have you had any so, big no. moments? Um, um, I've phrased that as moments. You can choose that. Here we go. No, to be fair, I mean, I've been on the grass. Oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. I've had okay, a few yeah. moments. I saw the eyes go. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. I Here we go. Up. I mean, so always, so far, you know, we say touch wood on that because there you go, you've got some wood there. Is it real? Yeah. Probably old black. Yeah, I've never had yet any big moments while driving, but lots from the passenger seat. seat. So I was once going very, very quickly in the passenger seat of an M4 and ended up actually touching the grass on the outside of Fort Walter, which an M4 is almost about 140 miles an hour in two. Yes, I got got another name. Right, turn two, you got the little kink right. It's a 140, the passenger seat. That's a corner. It's, it's a corner. Yeah, it's, you've got to turn at just the right time. Anyway, yeah, there must have been a gust of wind or something on the apex because you just got a little, like, just a little slide. And he was driving fantastically well. <laughs> but we were doing a special day. Can't, unfortunately, not to say too much about the day. But it's a very special day where you have to hit a certain amount of time. And the lap time is fast. And you are pushing on. Uh, and he just got a little wiggle at the top. And I thought, this isn't good. So I have to let him deal with it to a certain extent until it all really starts to go wrong. Yeah. And he did a good job, but he overcorrected slightly. And we just nibbled the grass 
with the rear, with just the left tyres, well, with just with the left two left tyres, but more so the rear. And all of a sudden, it just snapped us. And I just grabbed the wheel. I just went hard right. I was like, yeah. we are not going left. Not in the wall. Um, and apart from that, I ended up at the wall actually last year doing the same event uh, at turn one for the passenger seat. Okay. So it's a it's a good event you every hit, year. You hit the buzzers then. You hit the buzzers then. Okay. Almost kept it out, but not yeah. quite. Is that, is that your scariest moment in the passenger seat? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I would say so. Actually, I think mine is. Oh, yes. Here. Here. Yeah. Wow. What was that in? Genetic G forty. Oh, we were probably forty seconds to a minute off the pace. But okay. what you tend to find on a track day is actually going slow is yes. far scarier than yes. going fast. Um, mm. We spawn yeah. at turn one. Um, on a quite a fast track day, there's like a few radicals, a couple of like nice, tasty, maybe GT3 type yep. things. And we spun on turn one at Cops, and uh, we were sat. A uh, lady driving it was probably just hanging inside the curb. Oh, and I was no, pretty much fun. sat on the curb yeah, um, okay. in a Genetta G40, yeah. and either the starter motor or battery or alternator had failed, so it wouldn't start. Yeah, okay, and being cool. sat. Oh, no, what the yeah. crash was actually yeah. quite sedate. It wasn't a crash into spin, but it was yeah. a fact that then wouldn't start and from you, there. And now I'm like, you've got these GT3 cars. She's yeah. just like, oh no, we've spun. And I'm like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> she's like, no idea what's going on. Um, and then I had another yeah. one at uh, Anglesey going into the hairpin. Yes. Just a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and the guy hit the brake. I said brake harder. And I think he then hit the throttle. Um, no, I, I thought we'd have brake failure, but I think you just hit the throttle instead. So I was like, oh, yeah, oh, oh no. Oh, I think, I think it, it, yeah. it was probably in the week or so building up to Croft. But I oh, thought, gosh. Yeah. oh, no, this bad, this really bad. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. What's my dad going to say when I call him up from hospital in Anglesey going, Dad, I've got two broken legs and I can't do Croft? Yes, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Although That's saying that, I've just thought of another really quite scary one I had. Uh, was it Paul Ricard and a Ford Challenge car? Oh, that sounds slow. Yeah, it was. It was a slow, a slow sedate day. Yeah. Anyway, we come out of the first sector, and uh, he is on a fantastic lap, like really good. And I'm like, wow, okay, we're going fast right now. There's, the thing is, the for the Ferrari Challenge, doing the whole or the back straight, or the whole the back straight. straight. No, we're doing the whole the back straight. So we come up, uh, it wasn't there, it was at the kink before the back straight. But now that you say that, when you're in seventh gear in a Ferrari challenge car doing in, in the passenger seat in the passenger seat, doing 160, 170 miles an hour, I can tell you it's not fun. That's a bit that's a yeah. So we come out of the, the kind of double right hander, long, long right hander. And we go through the little kink left. Yeah. And that's still fast. The challenge car is flat out. And it's, flat. it's fast. You've got to take quite a bit of curb to be flat. You do. Yeah. You do. And we just got on the exit just a little bit too much. And all of a sudden, we're spat 90 degrees towards the barrier. And I'm like, this is going to hurt. Yeah. Um, and I literally just reach across and just turn the wheel hard left and send us into a spin. Yeah. So we come to a stop. But I just say to the guy I'm coaching, I go, do you know how much that would have hurt? Or cost? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, thank you for that. When you save it and you go, 
pretty cheap right now. You, you feel like going, yeah. I'll give you an option. You can pay my day rate or I'll take 10% of what I would have saved you. <laughs> yeah. And you go, I can guarantee you 10% of what I would have saved you will be a lot more yeah. than the day rate. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, but I think. Yeah. But I'm getting to go back to Goodwood in a couple of weeks to on the Friday of the revival. So if you're down there, Charles, I'll make we'll, sure on a little. And we'll take ten percent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what we would have saved exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think when you say scary instructing things or scary driver coaching things from the passenger seat, I think we could go on all night about yeah. things that happen that you're just you just like. If if I actually moment. thought about this, I wouldn't do it ever again. But then I realised, oh, I didn't go to school, well, so I, I guess... Else. It's a lot more... Yeah, but... But I guess that's... Is that kind of... Being a professional racing driver, is that kind of the risk you have to take away from doing the actual racing bit yourself, is doing stuff like the driver coaching and everything like that to earn a living? You kind of take that risk on board as part of that. I'm not, it's not necessarily... I think it's the best way. Um, it, unless you've got a very successful business on the side, mm. you're spending your time interacting with people who mm. like cars, yeah. and so you're in the right the right kind of place. Um, the travel is pretty difficult. Yes, you certainly. probably find yeah. that from being down south, or 100%. you've got quite a few tracks within probably two hours. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, it'd be a lot harder for you than me, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'm very lucky that I can get to uh, up to actually here, really, on a day and back. Um, yeah. So I've got Brands Hatch, Goodwood, uh, Thruxton, Castle Coombe is a push, but I can do it. Um, I've got here, and to be fair, Donington is the only one to say, yeah, I'm going to need a hotel for this. Yeah. Um, I'm very lucky, but where you are... I've got Croft. Yeah, you've got Croft, and that's it. Yeah, basically. Um, Alton even is probably quite a trek, isn't it? It's all the way across. Uh, yeah, and depending on how the M62 is, it can be two hours, it can be four. So, yeah. Donington's Donington's doable with a day in a, in a day and back, but it's a it's a pretty big day. Yeah, it's a big. Day. Um, yeah. You know, you you've got to have left by six, maybe even earlier. Yeah, depending. Yeah, if you if you've got a fairly relaxed customer and you can be there for eight, mm. you can leave at quarter six. Yeah, uh, and you might be back by eight o'clock. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's it's yeah. But it's doable. Yeah. But you don't want to be doing four in a week. No. So, no. Um, But inherently with the job, there's a lot of travelling. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you do in Europe currently, but Uh, that always becomes hard. It's probably quicker for you to get the circuits in Europe than it is for me to get to all the circuits that are still in the country. Yeah. So, like, where could you get to in Europe in three hours from you? Uh, Well, four hours is far. Okay. Well, four hours for me on a bad trip is Alton Park. And that's yeah, my exactly. second closest track. Yeah. So that's sure. my third closest track. Yeah. It can easily be four hours here. It's definitely four hours to Browns. Yes. Um. So yeah. Yeah. It, no, it, well, it yeah. does. It does make it quite um tough on yes. the on the travel from mm. from where I'm at. Um. But otherwise, being in this in this game is good. But yeah. to be fair, we're not really home that often. So actually, between yeah. tracks, it's yeah. not too bad. Yeah. Um. But yeah, definitely say definitely say it is the thing the thing to do. And there's there's quite a lot of us who are in the same boat. So um it's it's a weird one where it's like we don't necessarily work with anybody and we're all 
in effect self-employed yeah. um although in lots of different yeah. situations where you almost feel like you have a little team of colleagues yeah. so like i see charles about quite a bit especially yeah, if if i'm at probably a silverstone or a brand yes. or something like that yeah, then yeah. tend to see charles quite a bit mm. um but you see people like bobby thompson yes Mike Epps, totally um, yeah sean doyle totally. Um, chris diamond chris diamond yeah uh, um Tom MacArthur, as we've lost, yeah. see him all the time. Um, also, he, loads of different yes. people, like Stop Jones. Like, there's just people who float around it, and there's there's a few that you know that go off and do a lot of stuff in Europe. But yeah, it's quite a good, um, it's a good fun way of of, um, of of doing of doing life and and your thing. But yeah. um, what is what it does come with a bit of risk. It does come with a bit of risk, but in a, in a way as well, it can also really help you train for racing as well, because when you're in a race car or even a road car all day going around a circuit, yeah. you, we were talking about this before we started the podcast, actually, yeah. how car fit it makes you. Yeah. So you've got two things. You can be the fittest guy in the world. You can have the, the big muscles, the, the gym body. You still be, like doesn't me. mean, like you, <laughs> still mean you won't be able to drive a car for half an hour. You can feel absolutely knackered. Because it is <laughs> not like me. <laughs> so there's there's so much, you know, that yes, it's physical strength, but also it's mental strength that goes into the whole thing. And yeah. Spending days coaching, you're actually probably concentrating more uh, when you're trying to coach somebody yeah. because you're thinking about every everything. You basically got to uh, keep two people alive for a day. Yes. That's effectively yes. what what you've got to do. Yeah. So you've got to think everything that you would think, and then think what else could i do yes. and then and then you've covered all bases and then um because every now and then people just surprise you yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that said there is some fantastic days coaching it's so rewarding yeah. um like when you're with you know race mm-hmm. team and i'm sure yeah. you've had it with with callum this mm-hmm. year but like there's some there's some difficult days when you're sort of doing um i guess more of the mainstream work where people not necessarily been on track very much but when you're doing like race coaching it's it's such it's a so rewarding thing yeah. um to see other people have success so mm. um you might even get on piston heads in a mark 5 gti charles which i just happened to stumble on the other day on the that internet. was a fantastically fun project actually i thoroughly enjoyed that What's that? Um, so I was um, I did a YouTube series with Piston Heads, which is fully out now. Um, and actually, you can still enter the competition to win the Golf GTI. It's a cool car as well, although it could do with the differential. Um, so I did a series with them on trying to get a, a Mark V GTI on a 10 grand budget to beat a Golf R, a Mark VIII Golf R 20th anniversary edition. Okay. Which is really cool. Uh, no spoilers. So you have to go and watch the series, but it... Damn it. Pretty good fun. Sounds good. Sounds a laugh. Yeah, it was fantastic. So, so from Historics, Carrera Cup, how does it all ultimately come about? Um, well, actually, Piston Heads, to be fair, I've got to give Piston Heads the credit. So um, Peter Dingen at Piston Heads, actually, my dad used to run him in the Halfers Middle Challenge, and he also won the championship. Um, in um, one of our cars, which was really, really cool. Um, and after I raced at the Revival in 2019, um, did fairly well. Um, 
had John Cleland as my second driver, which was fantastic. He is a great character, amazing yeah. guy, really, really wow. cool. Uh, we managed to get, it was second on aggregate, I believe. I was third and he was, I was third in my race and he was, uh, I think he was fourth or fifth in his okay. race, which was really, really cool. Fantastic result. Um, and um, on the back of that, uh, Piston Heads offered me to race a Ford KA with them for two rounds in um, 2020. I can, see, I can see exactly where this goes to Paul Krokov. It's really, yeah. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> did the first round, enjoyed it. It was just a bit of a low experience about endurance racing because I've never done maximum of half an hour. So doing two and a half hours in a car, all of a sudden went, I like this. I want to do more of this. Yeah. When you do a longer stint, it's just amazing because yeah. you get in such a rhythm. You just, the car feels the same every lap. There's no, there's no, there's nothing going on. You get some back markers, deal with traffic. It, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's really, good. really fun racing. Um, so we then came to the Indy 500. Um, have you done that event? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, we it's did so it with, fun. were you guys there? We did it with Grace. We did like a charity team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good fun. Yeah. Pretty good. Fun. Really, really, really fun. Um, so, Basically, in in a short version, of the story is it was wet in qualifying. I was meant to go at the end when it was meant to dry up slightly to see how far we could get the car up the grid. Um, but my teammate unfortunately put it in the gravel in his qualifying stint, and another car rolled over the top of us. So <laughs> okay, yeah, me. And, I can remember that. Yes, of course, you were there, Rob. Yes, yes. On it. at that point, I was no, I was uh, well semi-team manager for the Club Race New Cape yes. because they did it from the first year and the second year and they won the 12 hours at SNET post-COVID. Mm. Because I did you guys race, li- race license test, 20. didn't I? I think I was your examiner. Uh, you didn't do mine. No, you I didn't, I didn't do yours. Steph's yes, that's it. Yes. Gosh, that was a little while ago, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so I then um, stayed with the Pissing Heads boys and we got the car fixed because it didn't touch the roll cage. So we got a new uh, couple of new bits no. for it. Um, some teams are very kind. And actually, actually, their graves as well were very kind. Yes. Yeah. A door, uh, all sorts. Yeah. I, mean, I think, yeah, Stuff. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So uh, we managed to get the car out for qualifying and that's uh, right, for the start of the race. And it was wet and I started dead last. And within one hour, without any pit stops, I managed to go from 42nd to first overall. Um, and after that, Remember I that, actually yeah. got more recognition and yeah. more opportunity yeah. from doing that and being, being being good in that first stint than I had from being on the podium at Goodwood or winning really at Spa and all these kind of things in historic. So at that point, um, Dad anyway wanted to get into some more modern racing again, like when the midgets were with the Halvus Midget Challenge and get back into single make racing as well as the historic stuff. So we then decided, well, that's it then. We'll go modern racing. And that's it for part one of the Driving Talk podcast in this edition with Charles Rainford. In part two, we're going to hear about his climb up the ranks in the Porsche Carrera Cup GB Championship and maybe see if we could prize out of him any plans going forwards. It's certainly going to be a good listen for that one, folks. But for now, you're going to have to wait another week, I'm afraid, for Charles Rainford Part 2. Don't forget to head back to our other episodes of the Driving Talk podcast, powered by Icon. But for now, bye-bye.